crucial is it that we have a right understanding of the ordinances that Christ instituted for the New Testament church? And of course, we know that there are two of those, right? We, we know that there is baptism on the one hand and the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. Some uh, call it the Eucharist on the other. And it's, it's, it's vitally important to understand what these are. I think a lot of times what happens when uh, we, we, we don't have a high view of not the ordinances themselves, but what Christ does through the ordinances is that, especially in terms of catechesis and we're teaching our children these things, is that they come, they come off the, the two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, as just kind of appendages to the Christian faith. Uh, they come off as things that uh, we know we are supposed to do, but really we don't get the significance behind it. We just we just think, well, Jesus told us to get baptized, or Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him uh, in terms of the Lord's Supper, and we don't really know what the substance of either of those ordinances or sacraments really are. So uh, I just want to talk about that a little bit here, and this isn't going to be an especially long episode, but one of the things that I wanted to to point out is that the uh, the Baptists of the 17th century, the London Baptists, uh, considered baptism and the Lord's Supper as effectual means of salvation. Now, what they what they let's let's talk a little bit about what they didn't mean by that. They didn't mean that those things were effectual means of justification, as in, like, if you do them, you will be justified in the sight of God, okay? And a lot of times what, pe- what, what, what people do is they identify justification with salvation, all right? And uh, salvation really is a, a term that can be applied much more broadly than the term justification. Justification chiefly uh, respects our... Uh, not only our forgiveness of sins, but the imputed righteousness of Christ and the following declaration of righteousness, which is uh, which is grounded on the righteousness of Christ. It's Christ's righteousness or for Christ's righteousness that we are declared righteous in the sight of the Father. So that's is and that's and that's given freely. That happens freely, uh, and and that is not something that you know we we merit. Okay. Um, Salvation can be we, we can we can use the term salvation very narrowly to to refer to our justification in the scriptures you you know we read phraseology like you have been saved uh, we talk about that all the time like after our conversion uh, we say you know I've been saved um, and we we speak of salvation in the past tense and usually when we do that we're referring to uh, our regeneration and that at the same moment, our uh, justification and adoption. But um, what has grown out of thinking of salvation as a significantly only past event is that we've we've forgotten about sanctification, which is a, a necessary component in the scheme of our salvation. Okay, so uh, we 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 oftentimes we 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 identify the word salvation with justification. That's not what we're doing here, and that's not what the Baptists did in the 17th century when they say things like baptism or the Lord's Supper are effectual means of salvation. What they mean is that these the ordinances are means, tools, 
instruments by which God improves his people in some way, okay? And so um, there are, are several things that we would call or refer to as means of grace within the context of the local church. You think of the fellowship uh, of believers, prayers, um, the Lord's Supper, uh, baptism. These are all things that we would refer to as means of grace. These are means by which God moves his people further along in some way, shape, or form. Okay, now, uh, like you might ask, well, what what is baptism a means of specifically? Like, what does God do to me um, in baptism? Well, one thing that I could think of immediately, uh, right off the bat, is that God signifies to you in your baptism that you have indeed been uh, regenerated and converted to him. That's that's what baptism is a picture of our union with Christ. And so it testifies to you, just as it does to those on the outside, that you are indeed in union with Christ. Why else would you be doing it? You know, why else would you, why else would you be um, um, engaging in baptism and making a public profession that indeed you are Christ's and Christ is yours. So baptism has has that effect, among others, we might say. I would also say concerning baptism that uh, the, the language um, attached to the ordinance of baptism or the sacrament of baptism is that baptism is a sign. It's a sign. Now, um, one of the things I used to do as a, a as a kid is my dad and I, when we knew storms were going to roll in, we would go out uh, to this. I, I grew up just west, or I mean, just east of the state line, uh, the the Missouri Kansas state line, and we would go out to a uh, the state line road out there, or a a road that was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. We'd be able to see these big thunderheads roll in. We'd be out there taking pictures and things. And we'd see storm chasers out there as well, because these some of these storms would get pretty severe. Um, when whenever you're looking at a storm and you see thunderheads, um, or even whenever you see like the outer band that often comes in the form of like a shelf cloud or a a wall cloud, you know it looks really scary. There's some raggedy clouds. Looks like a tornado could drop out of that thing any moment. Um, but sometimes those those wall clouds are just outer bands, and they and they and they 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 are in front of the storm, and they can be miles in front of the storm, depending on how power powerful the supercell is. And and those clouds are like signs telling us what is behind them and what is going to be coming. Uh, a really well developed shelf cloud or a wall cloud means that there's probably a pretty decent sized system behind it, especially if it's in front of the storm a great deal. And, and it usually comes with a big gust of wind, you know. So those are like signs. That's not the storm itself, right? The storm itself is the substance that sits behind the signs. And the signs are only telling us that, yes, there is indeed a storm there. Now, if there were, if there were no outer bands, right, and, and there was no wall cloud or shelf cloud uh, coming out of this supposed storm, and instead we, we, may, have just, uh, we may just see a few clouds off in the distance, uh, or it may just be sunny outside, well, we would conclude that there's no storm there. So you see how intimate the sign uh, really is connected to the thing signified. If the storm is the thing signified, then the sign is the wall cloud or the shelf cloud riding out in front of it, okay? And baptism 
functions in much the same way. Uh, a lot of times the early church seemed to use language that would identify baptism with regeneration and make them one and the same. And there was, uh, you know, later traditions kind of picked up on that and, and, and turned baptism into regeneration itself. So you get the idea of baptismal regeneration. But really, I think the significance behind the language of, of nearly identifying regeneration with baptism is just to say that your baptism is your sign, is the sign of regeneration. And, and where there is no baptism, well, who would have any reason to believe that you've gotten uh, converted? Uh, who would have any reason to to think that you've been regenerated? So baptism is like that outer band of the storm that, that tells you that there's something big and powerful behind it. There's some substance behind it, and you can get an idea of what it is based on what that outer band shelf cloud looks like. Baptism is much the same way, and, and, and the Lord's Supper functions similarly as well, albeit at different, uh, in, a, in, a, in a diverse or a distinct way. So um, nobody, you know, obviously not in my tradition, um, our, the 17th century Baptists did not believe that, you know, baptism itself was regeneration, but it is a sign of regeneration and our union with Christ. And so um, where baptism is, there we would also conclude that whoever has been baptized has been regenerated and united to Christ, right? And where baptism is not, then what reason would we have to believe that they've actually been united to Christ? Okay, so it's a it's a sign of the things signified, and, and they need to remain distinct, but obviously not totally separated from one another. And then the Lord's Supper, you know, you have the language, of course, in... Uh, the second London, um, specifically, I believe, in the catechism. I'm not sure how prevalent this language is in the uh, actual confession, but in the catechism, um, the Lord's Supper is referred to as an effectual means of salvation. Now, why is that? Well, um, our Baptist forerunners uh, did not take the Zwinglian view of uh, the Lord's Supper, namely that it was only a memorial, okay? They they actually believed that in the Lord's Supper, there was a, a partaking of the body and blood of Christ, yet not carnally, okay? Um, and so they rejected the carnal par, uh, partaking of the body and blood of Christ. That is the view of the Roman Catholic Church is that um, the the wafer and the wine and the chalice actually transforms or or transfigures into the body and blood of Christ. They rejected that, but they maintained that there is a spiritual, by faith, by faith only, partaking of the body and blood of Christ. And it's ineffable to us, uh, in, 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 um, not inconceivable, but... Uh, um, incomprehensible to us how Christ is actually transmitted to us in that way. But we know that in the Lord's Supper, the, the language is too is too strong in the scriptures uh, to suggest otherwise. The Lord's Supper is not just a memorial. God actually does something to us and proves us in some way by means of the Lord's Supper. It's an effectual means of salvation for that reason. Not because you are justified through it, not because you might lose your justification throughout the week and maybe like rekindle it somehow through means of the Lord's Supper, but because it is a, a means of our sanctification and our progress, our growing up into Christ 
uh, and there is a spiritual partaking of his body and blood. So we don't say, obviously, that we're that we're partaking of his actual flesh and his actual blood um, in the in the elements. In fact, there's to be a, a distinction made between the elements, uh, the the wafer and the wine, and uh, the body and blood of Christ itself. Those two things are not ident- to be identified with one another. The substance of uh, the the bread and wine remains the same. They're just bread and wine. Yet, if we participate in the Lord's table by faith, then we participate in Christ. Okay, and so um, I, I, one of the one of the reasons that that's very very significant is because. Given the ontology of the Lord's table in like the Roman Catholic Church and the, the sacrifice of the Mass and all of that, it follows that anyone, regardless of whether or not they've been given saving faith, anyone can participate in Christ. Anyone can, can, can feast on the body and blood of Christ. It doesn't matter. Uh, and the and the significance with the um, the reformational and post reformational view of the Lord's Supper is that it doesn't allow for an accidental uh, participation in the body and blood of Christ. The person who who is not indwelt by the Holy Spirit has not a saving faith may eat the cracker and may drink the wine, but they will not partake of the body and blood of Christ in a spiritual sense by faith. And by the way, the the, the word used for um, that doctrine of the Lord's Supper is is called by Keith Matheson, I think quite helpfully, um, uh, supra-substantiation. Okay, so it's above and over the carnal values of the elements, the wafer and the wine. Okay, so it's supra uh, substantiation. That is to say that it's a spiritual particip- participation in the body and blood of Christ, not a carnal one. And it's had by faith and by faith alone. So I just wanted to talk about this. These are not empty ordinances. I think sometimes, again, the Sunday school down and dirty version of the ordinances makes it look like baptism and the Lord's Supper are but appendages to the real stuff, right? And the real stuff is like um, moralistic teaching, living your life well, how to, you know, how to be nice to others. That's the real stuff. And then Jesus, for whatever reason, kind of tagged these two things onto the Christian religion. That's just not the case. These are full of significance and things. In fact, they are signs of things signified, substantive, real things signified. That is our union with Christ chiefly and foremostly. So hope this was enjoyable and useful. If it was, consider giving a share. Uh, if it was not, let me know how you can, uh, how, how I can improve things here on the Baptist broadcast. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day. <music>